This week, I'm in the room with Paul Nyquist, the president of Moody Global Ministries, discussing his new book, Is Justice Possible? Welcome to In the Room, episode number 61. I'm your host, Ryan Hughley, and as always, I am here with my good friend, Scott Douglas Holthouse. Scott Douglas, two equally boring names. You could have gone by Dougie. I will I be could, calling you Dougie from now on. I could have. <laughs> I To everyone named Doug or Dougie out there, no offense, but I just wouldn't pick that personally myself. Dougie's definitely like a, I don't. I've Dougie. never met a grown man named Dougie yeah. ever. Uh, when you said Dougie, I thought of The Cutting Edge. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Topic. The figure skating one. That's yeah. right. This is not a good path His for His brother to calls him Dougie. I watched really? that movie a lot. Yeah, it is a. I'm gonna just yeah. say it. It's a really good movie. I used to. Um, I used to spray toe pick. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. But I would. I was into like hockey, but the figure skate. It was like uh-huh. the meshing of both those yeah. worlds, and so I would watch it, and then I'd spray end dust dusting solution. Yeah. On our like tile floor because uh-huh. it makes it really slippery. Yeah, I bet your mom loved that. Well, and I would like skate with my <laughs> socks. And then one time my dad fell (laughs) and he was so mad. (laughs) I bet he was. Rightfully so. And that was the end of my figure skating in the living room. Yes. (laughs) Well, this week uh, I talked with Paul Nyquist. He's the president of a lot of things, but Moody Global Ministries, which includes Moody Bible Institute and then also their publishing company and what else? The radio station, all of that. He's over a lot. He's got a lot going on. Uh, We talked a lot about, um, he talked a lot about Chicago, yeah. uh, thinking through the justice system, which uh, was interesting to hear him talk about that. We're both from Chicago yeah. most recently. You've lived there your whole life. Yeah. So when you think about Chicago, what is, what's one of your favorite things about Chicago? Maybe even one of the things that most people would be like, oh, I, I would not like that. My favorite thing. So growing up there, that's your bread and butter. That's your well, home. What's your favorite thing? I, I will have to say I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago because mm-hmm. people from Chicago when you say you grew up in Chicago, they're like, oh, what part of the city did yeah. you live in? They're pretty smug about it. Yeah, and I'm they like... They call them the burbs, yeah, which I never so, am a fan yeah, of the just, burbs. If you use that terminology on behalf of the human race, please stop. Please stop. Unless, unless you were talking about the tremendous... Uh, I believe late eighties yeah. Tom Hanks movie, the burbs, which is a fabulous piece of cinema. A wonderful piece. Yeah. Um, continue. So I grew up in Mundelein, which is like 50, 45 minutes, maybe yeah. outside the city. My favorite thing. Like what's one of the first things you think of when you think about Chicago? I think of the food. Yeah. And like, not like, Oh, these amazing restaurants in the city. Yeah. But like, I think of like an Italian beef, the size of your head. Yeah. Or That's I a think, good day. or I think of like a Rosati's pizza cut into squares yeah. with just like oodles of sausage and green pepper and onion. <laughs> on oodles. It. Oodles. I think about, I think one of the first things I was thinking about this this morning when I was going to ask you this is the smell of the city. Oh yeah. It's a very distinct like, and, and I think you really grow to love it over time. It's more, to, it smells a little different in the summer and the winter. Yeah. It, it's sort of, it's, it, it's not, it's not necessarily a good it's smell. It's not good. Yeah. Nobody's, bo- no. nobody's bottling yeah. that. But there's something sentimental. It it's very strong. Totally. Yeah. Nobody's dabbing it. <laughs> I have this new scent. It's called Chicago Funk. Yeah. It's the smell of the city. That's right. By That's Jewel. it. Well, in addition to a lot of the great things about it, it's also a city that is pretty, filled with corruption, uh, politically. And 
so we talked a lot about that, and that's something that I know is heavy on Paul Nyquist's heart, yeah. someone who lives in and works in that city. Yeah, I think I, I know before we moved, I had heard the stat. <clears throat> it had been like, I think two years. This is a, it's not exact. It was, a, it was around that time. It had been about two years since there, since there had been a day that has gone by without somebody being murdered yeah, in the city. Tragic. We have like four governors in prison right now. It's yeah. I'm crazy. thankful for there's a lot of great churches in the city that are both being planted and that are yeah. really doing a faithful job there. So there's some really great stuff going on, but we did, we talk, his new book is called is justice possible? The elusive pursuit of what is right. And he talks about justice less in terms of social justice, more in terms of like the actual judicial system. Um, but it was an interesting conversation. It's a very interesting book. He's a, um, um, high capacity guy oversees a lot is very thoughtful. And so it was a very interesting conversation. I think many will enjoy it. So come on in the room for my conversation with Paul Nyquist. Well, Dr. Nyquist, thank you so much for coming on in the room. I very much appreciate it. I know that you have multiple responsibilities that you juggle, and by some chance, someone does not know uh, who you are as the president of the Moody Bible Institute. Can you just tell me a little bit about uh, your background, starting with where you're from? Well, originally raised in the great state of Nebraska. All right. Um, Got saved in college at the University of Nebraska when I went to college to become a rich and famous architect. Um, And that uh, eventually changed my direction in life. I did graduate in architecture, but then went on to uh, Dallas Seminary, got my master, THM and PhD there in in theology. So how Um, how did that shift happen for you, where you went from architecture to now you're in ministry and going to seminary? How'd that happen? Well, over the time that I was uh, in college, I just became more and more convinced that I was uh, not going to be happy building buildings the rest of my life, Okay. Um, that I wanted to be involved in full-time Christian work. I didn't know what that really looked like, Yeah. Um, but uh, I knew I wanted to do that. So that's why I went off to seminary, just to get trained in the Bible, because I had virtually no Bible training before that point. Okay. And so then you, before you were... Uh at Moody, catch me up on the other things that you've done. So you were, I think I read, you were a senior pastor at a church in Iowa. Is that correct? I was uh, actually pastored for two, di- at two different churches for okay. 18 years, uh, 13 years in Omaha, five years in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. And then um, just before coming to Moody, I uh, also was president of an international mission agency based out of Kansas City called Avant Ministries today. Okay. Uh, I've, ta- I've taught on the undergrad level, seminary level, but I've uh, been here at Moody now uh, eight years. Okay, excellent. So I'm very curious about this. So as, as the president of the Moody Bible Institute, you oversee now the undergraduate program, the graduate program, and then also radio and publishing. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's that's all one big umbrella here at yeah. Moody. So tell me a little bit about how do you how do you choose how to divide your time between those four things? Well, it helps to have a great executive team. I've I've got uh, the privilege of being surrounded by some very talented, gifted, dedicated people. And um, they do their jobs well. So I've got, um, you know, the two of the leaders of the education on my executive team, uh, a man who oversees both radio and publishing. Um, and so uh, I just uh, yeah, have some good people there. There's a lot to be looking at. There's always plates that are spinning and uh, things that we're involved in. But um, I love it. 
And I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. So tell me about with, with someone even having a great team, you still have a lot of plates that you're spinning yourself. So what does, um, I'm always interested in what the average day for someone that uh, is high capacity and has a lot of things going on. So what's the average day look like for you? Are you an early riser? Uh, I'm a morning person. Yeah. yeah. So if I want to get something done that takes a lot of mental energy, creativity, I have to do it in the morning. Uh, so I'm uh, usually in the office by seven and uh, by about five o'clock in the afternoon, I can see my brain is getting near empty. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, those days and I'll, I'll work on some weekends as well just to, to keep ahead of things. So there's all, you know, there's busy seasons and there's seasons when, uh, let's just say it's less busy. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you know that that comes with uh, the territory. But again, I, I greatly enjoy what I get to do. That's great. Well, I feel like I owe you a thank you because Moody actually just published my first book and uh, just came out three weeks ago. So thanks for that. And it's been really <laughs> great. And I, and I can vouch for the fact that your team has been really great to work with. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Um, so you're in three, I was thinking about this today, reading over some uh, bio stuff on you. You're in three industries right now um, in both education, radio, and publishing that are all going through a lot of change right now. And so I just wonder how you think about that and how you are being in, in, intentional in the way that you lead in light of all the change that's happening in these three industries. Well, you're right. They are all rapidly changing, as is much of our world. I mean, yeah. uh, but these three are definitely in serious change. Education, as it moves uh, not only into a much more online world as mm -hmm. opposed to a residential world, but also with the decline in uh, the number of high school graduates today, and that's going to continue. So there's a lot going on in education and radio. Uh, you're seeing change as it moves to more of a digital format mm -hmm. and uh uh, less terrestrial, and then in uh, publishing, obviously, again, the uh, the changes there involve uh, the ebook world and Amazon and all the things you're dealing with there. So, uh, you know, I uh, we're constantly trying to to keep ahead of the trends and just see what is. Yeah, you know, we we liken ourselves to being an air, uh, uh, aircraft carrier up in the up in the air with a yeah. lot of fuel, and uh, we have a mission, and we know yeah. where we need to get, but we're trying to. Uh, recognize the headwinds that are ahead and that the fuel may not be coming as frequently as it used to come. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're making some important strategic decisions even right now as we uh, try and reshape Moody f to be effective in the future. Yeah. What, do you, what are your thoughts, especially on the future of radio as, as more and more is moving to a digital platform and it seems like less and less people, especially probably in a, in a younger generation, is listening to the radio? What do you think the future of radio will be? Well, we're seeing that uh, the the trends have stayed very steady there over the last 10 years. Okay. Uh, uh, so 92 to 93 percent of all Americans still, you know, download or listen to terrestrial radio. Hmm. Yeah, you know, again, they may not be listening to it as much real time yeah. as they are, you know, getting it downloaded later on, but it's still uh, material content that had been broadcast over a radio station. And so that number still stays very consistent. Uh, at the same time, we're trying to ramp up uh, more digital streams. We've got about uh, 15, 18 digital streams that we run, um, and we're trying to also discern 
uh, how you play in that world well, uh, yeah. how you monetize it, how you can do it and uh, actually you know make it pay for itself rather yeah. than subsidize it. So those are the questions we're trying to answer right now. And frankly, as we look around, we don't see anybody's got the answers yet. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in the digital world, but uh, you have to have terrestrial radio to point people to the digital stations. There are a billion chase uh, options on the internet. Right. There are only there are only 40 options on your radio dial. That's right. And so um, we think that we're going to continue to play in both those worlds at the same time while ramping up uh, what we're doing in the digital world. That's great. Well, your new book is called uh, Is Justice Possible? Very, very helpful look at uh, the topic of justice from a biblical perspective. And, and one of the things that I'm always interested in is not just the message of a book, but the motive of the author. And so I wonder what in the cultural landscape that you saw compelled you to want to write on this topic. Well, let me point to a couple of things here, Ryan. Uh, first, um, justice is an, a, a hugely important issue to God. Yeah. Um, you know, when he says Isaiah 61.8, I, the Lord, love justice, he's showing his heart on this matter. Uh, also, uh, he makes sure that we know it's an important issue for us because he makes it a requirement for us. And Micah 6, 8, everybody knows that. Right. I, the Lord, require that you do dust, justice. But then, you know, in uh, the eschaton, as we look to the future, we know that God is going to enact justice in this world for every human being. And so, uh, this is not a cursory topic. Uh, having said that, I have deal with mostly legal justice as opposed to social justice. Right. Um, and I'm seeing that. Again, I live in Cook County in the great uh, city of Chicago. Right. And... Um, uh, it's just almost a daily affair around here in terms of uh, injustice that takes place uh, in the courtroom, in the legal arena. And uh, so everyone gets touched by this in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and when they do, it affects your life in dramatic ways. So um, the question I kept hearing people say is, you know, this isn't right. This isn't just. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know what to do about that. And why is it we can't get it right? And that's mm -hmm. why I wrote the book. Okay. So so you talk about the importance of when it comes to talking about and thinking about justice, the importance of starting with God, who is just, and with his word. So how can understanding uh, justice as a theological term help us? Um, how does that inform the way that we think about it practically in our legal system? Well, uh, it, it has to be tied together. Now, I, you know, let me just give a preview here. It isn't often tied yeah, together. Right. Um, but, um, you know, it has to be tied together in that uh, justice starts with God. Mm -hmm. uh, there are three different attributes of God that are all tied together here. You have his holiness, which is the starting place. Um, that is the uh, standard by which Everything else in God's creation is measured. His righteousness is God's own conformity to that holy standard. He will never vary from his own holiness. That's his righteousness. And then justice is his application of those righteous standards to our behavior, our lifestyle here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so God is holding us accountable to those standards, whether we admit that or not. That's good. And that's what needs to be reflected in our 
quote-unquote judicial system here uh, on, in this world. Yeah, and you, I mean, you just referenced even living in Chicago, but it, but so much of just the general population right now seems largely dissatisfied with the state of our own justice system, or at least sees failures in it and weaknesses in it. And so, can you give a few reasons why real justice seems so difficult to accomplish? Well, that's uh, that's the crux of, of the whole book. I mean, when you start with justice being tied to God and his standards and recognizing it's what God says is just, not what man says is just. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to go into God's word and show there, um, here's, here's some reasons why we don't get it right all the time and uh, why, you know, quote, uh, justice remains elusive for mm-hmm. us. Um, one of those reasons is because we make unjust laws. Yeah. Uh, if you start with God's justice, his righteousness as the standard, um, then any law, any legal statute that we make here has to be in conformity with that if it's going to be truly just. Yeah. Um, but in history and in our contemporary world, uh, we make unjust laws. And so it's, it's foolish to think that we're going to have justice when we don't even have unjust laws. Yeah. Um, and so something can be legal mm-hmm. and not be just. Mm, that's good. Uh, so what would you say? It seems like there are so many people, and a lot of this is shaped like media, which I know even in itself is not always the most accurate, but so many people seem so frustrated by injustice that they see, not just social injustice, but, but even legal injustice. What do, you, uh, what do you say to people who are frustrated with what they see? Christians in particular. Yeah. um, The reason we have uh, injustice in our legal system and why we will continue to have injustice in our legal system uh, goes back to the limitations that we have as as human beings, Mm -hmm. the limitations of our own humanity. Uh, So we make unjust laws. We do that. That's the legal reason. Um, but then there's also a cognitive reason that's just related to who we are as human beings, and that is um, we have incomplete knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know even what we don't know, and mm-hmm. so we have to make decisions in a, in a case. A judge has to rule. A jury has to make a decision regarding uh, guilt or innocence, and they think they have all the facts. They have tried to discern all the evidence, um, but in reality— they don't know, uh, they have incomplete knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so um, they can end up making a decision and then find out years, decades later, that um, oh, there's an important fact we didn't know that would have changed that case. Just last week, I think it was, um, uh, there was a major headline here in the Chicago Tribune about uh, someone who had been in prison here in Cook County for, oh, it was about two, 25 years or so. Okay. For for a arson and okay. uh, for a death that occurred in that arson and the fire in the building, and uh, just now they have overthrown that case. They've let him, you know, free because they've got new ways of determining what has happened with fires, and it shows that the pattern wasn't correct in that fire. Again, we didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, that goes on in various ways. And so incomplete knowledge is one part. We're never going to get around that. Yeah. God's, God's the only one that's omniscient. God's the only one that has all the facts. Uh, we have to come to grips with our own limited knowledge. Yeah. 
What do you think Christian's response should be to, you know, so you read an article like that. I didn't see that, but if I did, I would have, I mean, what do you do with uh, the rage (laughs) that you might, I mean, there's so much that we look at as Christians. How do we, how do we continue to have, the whole thing seems so fundamentally broken. It's very easy to slip into a place of despair because it, it's a mess. It's, I mean, and I just moved from Chicago, so I understand, especially living in Chicago, how frustrating it can be to watch it. And it's been going on for so long. How do we, how do we labor for hope and how can we be a source of solution to the problem? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'd like to get to that, Ryan. Let me, though... Um... Finish out that picture, okay. So maybe this will help um, help us move that direction okay. there, because um, incomplete knowledge is part of it. Okay. Uh, un- unjust laws is part of it, um, but there are still two other pieces that come into play here that I think we need to understand as okay. uh, Christians and as human beings. Uh, the third piece is. You know, we have uh, darkened understanding. We, yep. And it, what I mean by that is, you know, okay, we can get the facts. Sometimes we, we, we um, have the evidence on the table, but right. because, because of our sin nature, because of our darkened understanding, we've got this amazing ability to twist those facts uh, to fit any scenario we want. Right. And again, um, case after case here in Cook County, um, you know, uh, a man here was just released after 20 years in prison for a double murder. And as it turned out, the detectives had uh, been suppressing some of the key evidence uh, that would have changed the outcome. Again, we've got the ability to do that, and we're not going to escape that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're all, um, you know, have that sin nature. As believers, we have a chance to see renewal in that area, but, you know... Um, we're all dealing with that, and yeah. that's going to affect our ability to make right decisions. Then the last um, factor is uh, what I'm calling the neurological reason, and that's mm-hmm. implicit bias. And this is, uh, this is an area where there's just a vast amount of new research coming out. Um, implicit bias is what's going on in our brain waves. How, through the years, our, our our brains make associations, connections based upon, you know, things that we've seen related or associated in the past. So since right. when we hear, you know, we hear, we see lightning, we expect thunder. Right. And we just come to do that, and the same thing happens with relational associations. And um, these have chosen show that everyone's got implicit bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes out in all areas of society. It comes out in education, in housing, in employment, but it really comes out in the courtroom with judges and sentences and juries. And um, uh, these are all coming into play at the same time. So why do we not get justice all the time? Oh, we've got a whole bucket of reasons yeah. why it's it's – it's going to be, I think, frustrating for us as believers who yearn for that in our hearts. Hey, sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about a project that I've worked hard on over the last year and I'm very excited about. It's my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Uh, time in our culture is one of our greatest commodities. And one of the biggest time investments for pastors is certainly sermon preparation. Uh, But what if there were a way for you to write better sermons in less time? And that's really my hope and my prayer for my new book, Eight Hours or Less, 
Uh, it's a step-by-step guide for improving your process and being the best steward of time uh, that God's given you. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity and you've been blessed by the podcast, uh, it would be a huge blessing to me if you would uh, run over to Amazon.com or uh, my website, RyanHughley.com, and pick up your copy of Eight Hours or Less. So even just in hearing those three reasons, it's, it seems very complicated. And uh, so how do you have any hope for this? Uh, as a Christian, how, do we, how should we think about our justice system? Are we just supposed to throw our hands in the air and go, well, thankfully Jesus is coming back someday and we won't have to deal with this anymore? <laughs> or, which uh, that is part of it for sure. But also in, in the meantime, we're not just to hide in our basements. How can we be a source of justice in this world? How can we participate in a healthy and helpful manner in the justice system? What are your thoughts on practical steps that regular Christians can take to be engaged and and, and be a part of a solution to the problem? Yeah. Well, you're exactly right, Ryan. We we can't... um not be involved in this because mm-hmm. of, again, Micah 6, 8, passages like that. God's very keen on those who are his representatives pursuing and enacting justice as mm-hmm. best as we can, Yeah, you know, in this world. So, how do we do that? Well, that's that's a, a probably a third of my book is uh, dealing with practical ways that we need to be doing that. Um, one way uh, is... Uh, what I call doing justice in the political arena. Okay. You know, in our particular country, um, most people involved in uh, the judicial arena have either been elected or appointed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that uh, we as citizens have a voice in this. Yeah. We, we, we um, either through a direct vote of, uh, uh, you know, a judge maybe in our area, or by electing those who appoint those judges. Uh, we've got a voice in how that, you know, who gets in that, who sits on that bench. Sure. And um, uh, <laughs> uh, what I'm what I meaning to say is all this is, um, um, if we are serious about pursuing justice, we need to also be serious about trying to elect people who are concerned about what God is concerned about. Yeah, God is concerned about justice issues. God is yeah. concerned about what happens to the most vulnerable of people yeah. uh, that tend to get trampled by the judicial system. God is concerned about those things, and we need to then be examining uh, in the, to the best of our ability those who are going to be candidates to sit on the bench or are going to be elect or appointing those who sit on the bench so that they are concerned about what God's concerned about. Yeah. Uh, we, we can't just say, well, they're going to do their own thing. We have to have, take that, that um, active role in that. And, and frankly, um, you know, I mean, you know what's going on in our nation with all the political things right now. And there's a lot to just say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm just going to wash my hands of the whole thing. We yeah. don't have that option. Right. We don't, as frustrating as it is, we have to be involved in that because if we are not influencing that system, who is going to? That's right. Yeah. Who, we, that's the only chance we have to bring a godly influence into that particular part of the world. Yeah. And there is a good segment of our culture that has a really bad habit, I'd be guilty of it at times as well, about whining and complaining about 
our systems and structures, but really not participating in the process <laughs> of who's there and who's setting them. And, that's and, right. and to your point, we can't do that. Yeah. So there's the, the, that's a political one, and, and that's that's probably the easiest one yeah. to do. Uh, and yet, it's uh, I think it's vastly neglected. I give the example uh, when I voted down here in downtown Chicago. You know, there's only about you know three or four million people live downtown Chicago. Right. And uh, there were only 33 people that had voted before me that day, and there was wow. nobody in line after me. And so I was just like, where are the people, and why are they not exercising their, their privilege and right and responsibility? Yeah. Okay, then you move to the, what I would call the public sphere, the public arena. Yep. And um, in this area, we're talking about being an advocate. Mm -hmm. Be an advocate for those that experience injustice um, and being and be, choosing to be involved here. And, you know, the younger generations, I've got four millennials that I raised in my house. You know, I know where their heart and passion is. And, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm very keen on the fact that they want to see justice happen. Mm -hmm. So when we are aware of injustice, um, we need to, we need to be an advocate here in these areas. And that doesn't mean that you rant and rave over social media, which is tend to be where, right. where it happens. That accomplishes nothing. But it does mean maybe you contact your state senator. It does mean that maybe you sign a petition. It does mean maybe that you personally get involved in an area. And I give you an example here of Eddie Bolden. Uh, just a remarkable story. Here was a guy that had been put in jail for murder in 1996. Um, based upon a, a rather dubious eyewitness um, and a photographer, a lady photographer became aware of, of his situation. And, and as she investigated it more, she said, why isn't anybody taking up this case and looking at it? And she tried for years mm -hmm. to try and find somebody in the legal arena to take up his case. She finally succeeded. Um, a former public defender took up the case and um, his case came back. The witness recanted. Uh, he was released uh, just a year ago, April of 2016, Eddie Bolden, after wow. 22 years in prison. Um, the lady, Susan Carlson, unfortunately died before. She's been working on his case for years. She died yeah. before he was released. But he got released after 22 years just in time to see his son, Dominique, who had been born just before he went to prison, uh -huh. so he was less than a year old. Um, he, he got released April of 2016, just in time to see his son Dominic graduate from college. Wow. Um, and it just shows, you know, there are, there are family issues that are involved when we do this. I mean, yeah. uh, he never got to see his son walk. He never saw his son. He was a basketball star in college. Mm. He didn't get to see him play one game. But he got released three days before he released. He was able to see his son receive that diploma. That's amazing. And you're going, okay, this is what this is why we need to be doing this. Yeah. Who knows who's going to be the next Eddie Bolden? Right. And anybody can do this. Yeah. So you mentioned how, and I completely agree with you that social media, it's not helpful to rant and rave over it. Um, but we do live in a day and age where a huge percentage of the population does participate uh, on social media. Is there a way that for social media to be a helpful medium for being an advocate? Or do you really think that it's just not, not effective? 
Well, I, again, the ranting and raving is not effective. Certainly I think not. it's a it's a communication tool. It's a way of networking. It's a way of uh, uh, communicating information. And so, um, you know, uh, Susan Carlson was definitely old school. But if I were a Susan Carlson today, and I, you know, became aware of mm-hmm. what appeared to be, you know, something that's not yeah. handled properly. Um, there are different ways you can get that word out on yeah. social media. There are websites. There are groups you can contact. You know, there are, you know, Northwestern University, their law school here has a group that all they do is seek to try and uh, pick up cases that appear to be, you know, dealing with injustice and make that known to them. There are ways of helping connect people to situations. And that's the good side of yeah. the internet. That's a good side of social media. And uh, we should be able to do this better than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. It does seem like social media is a better, you know, I've heard people talk about joining the conversation on social media. And I haven't found social media to be the most um, advantageous medium for true conversation. <laughs> uh, it seems like it is a, uh, a one-way megaphone at best most of the time. But what it can be an effective tool for is, you use the word awareness, is, is to continue to raise awareness on things that are happening. Um, but I think, you know, the actual, I think even, even going old school and learning to dialogue with other people face to face and to debate in a loving and healthy manner and think more clearly and be stretched. I just think that both of those things are really helpful. Would you agree? I would, I yeah. would. And, uh, so, I mean, any means possible face to face, uh, phone calls over the over the media, you know, whatever it takes. Um, I think God would expect us to use any and all means uh, to carry out justice. Yeah. Are there any specific ways when you look at our current justice system? Um, are there any critiques that you uh, clearly you're someone that has thought deeply and is paying attention and is involved in this process? Is there any overarching critiques that you would have of our justice system where you do see some brokenness, maybe a fundamental flaw or two that you would point to and say this is a real issue that it, that at very least we need to be involved in this conversation. We need to be trying to advance this and move this forward. We need to be praying that God would work. Is there anything like that that you see or issues that we're we're up against right now well uh there again i give a portion of this and and it's just a portion in in the book on some things that well i'm calling for say we need to be aware of some judicial reform and i'm I'm part of the national association evangelicals i'm on their board and we meet in dc every year and we talk to senators and others that are involved in that we keep calling for judicial reform but there are some key areas i think that um you know from my my perch sure i need to be looked at um one is uh our bail system Hmm. um uh what's happening here is certainly bail is a needed item for those involved in violent crime, if they're a violent person, you know, there's a yeah. reason to keep them in jail until the trial comes out. Yeah. You know, that's not most of our people. Right. Uh, most people in jail are not in for violent crime. And uh, in my opinion, bail tends to be very prejudiced toward the poor, hmm. uh, against the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is um, they're in bail, they're in jail, they get arrested for something, and um it's $1,000, and they can't come up with $1,000 uh, because of their economic situation, and so they're stuck in jail, mm-hmm. and so they lose their job, their family suffers, everything is in this uh, spiral downward, um, 
simply because of that inability to post a very small bail. And so we've got, you know, uh, I read an article not too long ago where the number of people in our judicials and in jail mm-hmm. today is increasing, not because of of convictions, but because of those are in what I call pretrial limbo. Yeah. They're just waiting to have their their cases heard. There's a few states that are starting to look at this more significantly now, recognizing, okay, the the bail system as it's been enacted doesn't always work, and it is certainly hurting families who have no ability. To post bail. Yeah. Um, another one, I believe, is uh, you know uh, the rape in the in the prison system. Uh, it's been called America's worst kept secret. Hmm. Um, but for those who are in jail, what happens behind those bars? Um, you know, every year, eighty thousand inmates are raped. Wow. And that's the that's the ones that are that's the ones that are reported. Right. I think I think that's only a small nut fraction of actually how much happens behind um, prison doors. Um, and those are just two examples. I mean, yeah. just we get we get some areas. I think we have the best judicial system in the world, right? Okay. I believe that, yeah. and I believe that the vast majority of our people involved in law enforcement are generally trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. But we are not without some issues here that, that, in my opinion, need to be changed. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we do have hear that the, those things, just those two issues, and, and that does just barely scratch the surface of things that are wrong, even in light of having one of the best judicial systems in the world. But there is this aspect when I think about these things and even talk with you and read the book where I do have that Lord of, that sort of uh, come quickly, Lord, because <laughs> we, we need you to ultimately fix this whole mess. Are there that 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 um, yearning that all Christians should have, the longing for Christ to return when He ultimately does redeem everything that is broken and does bring justice where there's been injustice? Is there any particular way in which that yearning should manifest itself in a practical manner in the here and now, um, or not? <laughs> Do we just no. sit and pray that Christ would return quickly? No. I think, you know, beyond the public arena where you're trying to be an advocate for uh-huh. others, I think there's a personal area of ministry as as well. Um, for instance, and I, I, let me put these in two different categories, okay. behind the bars and outside the walls, okay? okay. Behind the walls and outside the walls. You know, um, there's a huge need for believers uh, to join with good groups, uh, you know, the most prominent, of course, would be prison fellowship, but there are other good groups, uh, mm-hmm. local jails and chaplains and so on, yeah. that are going in and ministering to the inmates. You know, if, most people say, I could never do that, and I've yeah. been behind serious prison walls, and it's yeah. it's not an easy place to be. Yeah. Um, but if you can lead a Bible study in your home, yeah. Uh, you can lead a Bible study there or teach a class on basic life skills, mm-hmm. uh, which is often where many of those inmates are lacking. So there is serious ministry that can be done behind the bars um, and you know, have the joy of leading people to Jesus Christ, discipling them. There is a Moody radio station, by the way, that's in Angola prison down there in Louisiana. Hmm, I mean, that's, awesome. that's you know, on, on the prison side. Yeah. So they, there's, there's ways of being involved there. That's not for everybody, but I would certainly encourage more people to consider that than what do it. There, I, I know some chaplains very well, and they, they never 
have all their bases covered. They're always looking mm. for more people to help. But then there's ministry outside the walls. Yep. And um, there are those who are the family members of the incarcerated. And uh, think about that. You know, you probably the main breadwinner in the family, the stigma attached to it, yep. the financial, you know, ruin that comes upon you. All those things come into play there. And they're having to grapple with all of that. Right. Uh, so whether that's doing something as as much as like you know, uh, you know, Christmas gifts and those kinds of things, you know, just ministering to that family is one thing. Then you're, there's a way of ministering to the inmates that are released. Yeah. Um, there's a 70% recidivism rate. Hmm. There's a reason for that. Yeah. That's because it's so difficult uh, to integrate back into society if you've been you know, in prison for any period of time. If you're a felon, you've got that on your record. It's very difficult to find work. You may not even have a place to live. You don't have income. Your support network has probably disappeared. You may have been divorced. You know, all those things, you don't know where to go. You don't have no place to do. And, um, boy, this is where the body of Christ can truly make a difference. Um, And so I would encourage people to mobilize their church. How can we help minister to those who are being released and uh, show them the love of Christ and uh, maybe have the great opportunity of leading them to faith in Jesus. Yeah, one of the things that encourages me the most of the church that um, I've been pastoring now for just over the last year is that there's there's a handful of people in our church that have been going to our local prison for years, I mean, decades, and preaching the gospel, teaching the Bible, building relationship, and uh, I just have been so blessed by their faithful, and it's the same people that have been going over and over yep. and over again. So, there really are very practical ways. Um, I found I was at the gym Recently, where uh, a police officer who uh, attends our church was is work, works out as well, and I was having a conversation with him, and he was sharing just how discouraging it is right now to be a police officer there, um, even here in Hickory, and we're a small community, and but they're like seventeen officers short, um, just because nobody wants to be a cop because of yeah, that's right. everything that's happened, all the bad media. So I think even even you know, pastors or ministry leaders seeing if there's an opportunity to be uh, a chaplain in their local police department or just to encourage anything because it's just a very, very discouraging time with all of the bad press and bad media that is the result of, Lord willing, you know, a, a minority of police officers or political leaders that have gotten so much bad press. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, if you've got, if you have police officers or people, uh, judges, or anybody involved in the law enforcement system in your church, I'd be holding them up. Uh, we need those people That's right. involved in that area. We don't want them to get so discouraged that they quit and go on to something else. Right. And many of them could. Yeah. Most of them could. Yeah. We need them involved in that area. Yeah. And uh, so holding them up and encouraging them and asking them, how can I be you know, uh, a, a real source of encouragement to you. I mean, maybe that's riding along with them. Maybe it's helping yeah. them. Maybe it's just praying for them, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we definitely don't want them to exit out of that area. That's right. Well, we've talked a little bit about uh, politics, uh, bounced in and out, and so this is a little bit of a shift in topic, but I'm, I'm just wondering, this is obviously kind of a sticky subject right now, um, but with uh, President Trump and uh, a, a 
mass amount of evangelicals uh, did vote uh, for President Trump and were really fired up about him. And I think that have been, you know, as more information has come out about uh, him and either the things that he said or done that have been inflammatory. And I've, I've talked to Christians that have some amount of regret about either their vote or their decision. And just, it seemed like a huge segment of the population just felt like we don't have a great option going into this election. So what, what would you say just by way, like just your general perspective on, uh, on where we're at and how we should both you know, how to best support the president that we do have, but at the same time, not look um, foolish by just sort of putting this general stamp of approval on him uh, because he might line up with us on, you know, family issues and and then says and does some things that, you know, by anyone's estimation have been deplorable. So how do we support our current president as Christians, and at the same time, not turn a blind eye to some of the things that have been um, ungodly, to say the least. Do you have any thought about that? <laughs> so now we are moving from uh, deeply into the political arena here, yeah. aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, first of all, I think that uh, the pollsters were probably um, wrong. wrong in terms yeah. in terms of how they characterize the vote for uh, the last in their last presidential election yeah you know I I think it probably was true that the a vast majority of evangelical believers probably voted Republican in mm -hmm. that particular election but they did so for so many different reasons that's right you know and there was it's not a monolithic vote it wasn't right. like you know some voted for one reason another voted for reason but you know uh, having said all of that what do we do now yeah well, uh, we can't escape still First Timothy 2, where it says we are to be praying for our leaders. That's right. Uh, so that there, it says it might be gentle and, and quiet, you know, in the world. In other words, yeah. we want there to be peace yep. because that's when the gospel thrives. It's right. not when there's chaos. Right. It's when there's peace. And so we are to pray for our leaders um, intentionally so that they might lead in a godly way. Mm-hmm. Um, we do know of the character of a Mike Pence that is a vice president and has a voice in that area. Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly how that all plays out in the White House and in other things like that, but we do know there are believers that are in that system some in certain places. We need to be praying that uh, their righteous voice will win the day. That's right. And uh, that there could be, you know, tranquility and, and, and quiet within the world so that you know, the good news of Jesus Christ can be heard by people and it's not buried under by their fear of what's going on uh, in our country. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's one piece. Mm -hmm. But then having said that, you still don't, you don't ignore right. um, things that don't measure up with God's word. Yeah. Uh, you can. I mean, that's what you see in the Old Testament with the Old Testament prophets. Um, they knew that the ones that were on the throne were there by God's appointment. Yeah. Okay. All, all authority has been yep. given by God. Yep. That doesn't exclude anybody. Right. So nobody is in a position of authority that has not gone through God's um, approval in this area for whatever purpose that might be. We don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. So um, that was true of the kings in the Old Testament, and yet uh, you find. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel railing 
against uh, some of the injustice yeah. that was present in the land. Um, and so uh, we need to be uh, raising our voice for righteousness no matter what, even praying at one hand for righteousness yep. to rule and yet uh, being a voice when that uh, righteousness is being violated uh, in our country. That's a good answer. Helpful. All right. So the title of your book is uh, formed in a question, Is Justice Possible? So formed almost as a yes-no question. So just to close our time together, what is your answer to that, to that question? Is justice possible in our country? It is possible, but it's not going to be uh, all the time. In other words, again, because of the reasons that I mentioned before, because of the yeah. limitations of our humanity, we're going to get it wrong. Yeah. And more often than we would like. So there's going to be times when injustice happens despite our best efforts. Um, so it is possible. Um, we need to not be disappointed or feel like something is broken down when injustice does happen. Yeah. It's going to continue to happen. Right. At the same time, we need to rejoice and celebrate when we get it right. That's right. And um, there are those times when justice is served, yeah. and we need to, to rejoice in that and then also point to a time when, uh, you know, whatever things are unjust now, they're all going to be rectified. Right. So we don't need to despair like, you know, all things are, are never going to be set right in this world. They are right. going to be set right. That's right. It's probably not going to be in our lifetime. Right. But we need to be voices and moving toward justice as much as we can in the time that we have, recognizing that, you know, if I were a judge, I'm going to make mistakes. If you were a judge, you're going to make mistakes right. simply because of the way that God has made us as human beings. Right. Yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that it is uh, the justice system is a gift to us sometimes and a tool, <laughs> a tool uh, in our lives meant for our good, but it's not our hope. And I think that when oh. people get the most bent and discouraged is when it's become their hope. And when your functional savior is a flawed justice system that is inevitably going to fail, that's just a recipe for much disappointment in your life. Amen. I'm hoping to just recalibrate people's expectations yeah. um, for life in this world right now. And um, uh, if that accomplishes that, then they aren't going to, you know, uh, just get frustrated, but rather just keep pressing on mm -hmm. and keep pressing on uh, toward the goal. That's great. Well, Dr. Nyquist, thanks so much for this book. And uh, in light of overseeing the vast majority of ministry that takes place in Chicago, uh, thank you for taking time to talk with me about this. I very much appreciate it. My pleasure, Ryan. My thanks to Paul Nyquist for coming on in the room. Uh, Scott, we covered a lot of ground in there. What's what are the things that jumped out to you? Yeah, um, you know, he talked about. Uh, you guys talked about the political system a little bit, mm -hmm. and just how um, you know, really, if we want to influence and if we want to seek justice, mm -hmm. then we don't really have the ability to just wash our hands of the political system yeah. and just go well, it's all broken, yeah. so away with it. Or, you know, it's all broken, and so I'm not going to participate. Yeah. Um, sort of this tension to, to balance the fact that it is, a lot of it is broken. Yeah. And um, we don't always have um, what we might feel like are the best qualified, most qualified leaders, but mm -hmm. um, there's a tension of, of still engaging and participating, yeah. still praying for our leaders mm -hmm. like God's Word commands, and still seeking 
ultimately justice, mm-hmm. the way that, that God um, defines that. So. Yeah, I think that, that that calling to pray for our leaders has got, which I believe is in Romans, uh, that has got to be one of the most convicting because mm-hmm. I just... I, I mean, just in my own, I'm, I'm not faithful enough in that at all. And yeah. I think that, uh, to your point, commentary and real strong opinions without real participation in the system is very easy to do. Yeah. It's easy to just puke on Facebook or some other social media platform and, but not really be part. That's like, and, and I think that unfortunately in our culture, when now we've, we consider that participation. Sure. Yeah. And, um, I'm engaged because I, I shared some yeah. crazy political parties. Right. Meme. And I, it's not that there's like we shouldn't dialogue and we shouldn't feel deeply and shouldn't have deep convictions about yeah. what we believe politically. But I do think that if we're not really genuinely committed to praying for these people, mm-hmm. I just feel like man, maybe maybe the world doesn't need to hear my every thought. Totally. What's interesting about that too is it's not like Paul doesn't qualify that. Right. Like pray, like for, pray your, for the good ones. Pray for the good ones. Pray yeah. for the ones that are Christians. Pray for the ones that you like. Right. It's just, just, just to pray for them. Right. And, uh, and I think that's hard. And, and I found it difficult myself to be real agitated at somebody that I pray for often. Yeah, yeah it's much more difficult it's, for it's sure. It's kind of hard. So yeah. I thought that was good. Uh, one thing he said, this didn't necessarily have to do with the book, but as you guys were talking... Um, uh, you were just asking him a little bit about radio and, uh-huh. and how that medium is is doing in general. And he said still 92 to 93% of radio content, whether live or downloaded, um, is still consumed by people. That's crazy. Like that's yeah. a, that was a crazy yeah. number to me. I would have thought that dropped way lower given podcast, given all of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, I found that just Do you to listen to the radio? I don't. Yeah, I don't either. I uh, I listen yeah. to a lot of podcasts. I, I I guess the one time I drive a uh, very very fancy O2 Explorer. This seems nice. You, know. you guys wouldn't believe this. Yeah, if it's you got pretty in sick. It. it has a tape deck. It's got a tape deck. It's got a really cool crack in the back. It does, um, which all tailgate. explorers of that year have. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the happened with that, but that was an oversight yeah. on someone's part. Yeah. But so I have to listen to music off my phone. I have to have like, I still have like the old school, like tape that you put in where the cord comes out, you know, cause I'm living <laughs> the amazing. high life. Well, yeah. 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 The cord comes out. Then I have to use a dongle. Yeah. The official term. Cause Apple's so pretentious. They can't use the same thing everybody else does. Right. So I have the tape deck with the string coming out with yeah. the dongle attached to my phone. That's such a situation you have it's, going on. It's there. a lot of work. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, you know what? I just don't, I'm tired. I don't have time yeah. for the tape deck and the cord and the dongle and the plugging in. And so I just turn Let's the radio forget on. Forget it. Yeah. I will say I, I listen to NPR every yeah. once in a while. One, because, Hippie. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just drive around and eat a bunch of granola and listen to NPR. Uh, and Birkenstocks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I find they have really interesting programming. Yeah, they totally do. Um, and, uh, and so I try to catch those. Uh, but even even NPR is pushing so much of their stuff to podcasting now. Right. Even right. the stuff that they are using on the radio, which I believe is what Moody, he was saying Moody is doing as well. But I just yeah. personally don't consume very much via radio anymore. Yeah. I find myself quite annoyed, actually, when I get into my car and the radio's on. Yeah. Because my wife listens to the radio. Does she? And I like get, music on the radio? Yeah, yeah. And I get in and I'm like, who turned the radio on? <laughs> Just what? appalled. What is it? Yeah, I have to press the button. And I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> the worst. But. 
Well, uh, the book again is called Is Justice Possible? The Elusive Pursuit of What is Right. Uh, it's published by Moody. Uh, so you can get that on Amazon or on their website. My thanks again to Paul Nyquist for coming on. Our thanks to you for listening. You can find us uh, online on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, at, at Ryan Hughley and at Scott Holthouse. So until next week, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.